number 22, Matthew chapter number 22, as we learn our last Baptist distinctive tonight. And uh, it, honestly, it may surprise you. This one may surprise you. We've learned about the infallibility of the scriptures. We've learned about the autonomy of the local church. We've learned about the priesthood of the believer, uh, the two offices. Uh, we've learned about a lot of things. Uh, but uh, I want to deal tonight with a, uh, a subject that uh, you might not have thought about as being a, a Baptist distinctive. And I'm uh, going to give you a little history lesson tonight. And uh, I believe show you that this indeed is a Baptist concept. Matthew chapter number 22, verse number 21. Our Lord here speaking, he says, uh, This say unto him, Caesar, Caesar's then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Let's pray together. Father, we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you'd help us as we stand to preach the word of God tonight. I pray, Lord, that, uh, Father, that you'd give us some wisdom and deals this subject just right. God, I pray, Lord, I thank you, God, for allowing me to be a Bible believer. And I certainly am thankful for that. And God, I just pray, Lord, that you'd help us stand on the authority of your word this, this evening. We'll thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, for our last Baptist distinctive tonight, I'm to preach a little while if the Lord will help us on the separation of church and state. Uh, the separation of church and state. Now, you might think uh, that that's not a Baptist distinctive. As a matter of fact, uh, there's been so much negative uh, uh, condemnation that has went along with that phrase, separation of church and state, because it's been weaponized uh, by the left, the idea of separation of church and state as our founders saw it has been weaponized by the left and they've used it as an excuse to exclude religious belief from any and all functions in, of government, uh, including uh, laws that are passed or how people vote or religious displays on or near government grounds. And so that's what most people think about when they think about the phrase separation of church and state. But what I want to submit to you tonight is that the ideal that church and state are separate came from Baptist. And uh, in order to do that of a necessity, we're going to have to talk a little history. And I apologize for those of you that don't like history. Monica will just have to try to get through it as best she can. If I've heard from her once, I've heard a thousand times, she don't care nothing about history. But uh, we'll just give just a little bit tonight and uh, talk to you just a little bit about how Baptists uh, believe in the separation of church and state. Now, I want us to look at it three ways tonight. We're going to look at this doctrine fundamentally. We're going to look at this doctrine historically. And then we're going to look at this doctrine practically. Uh, first, let's think just a little bit about this doctrine of separation of church and state. Now, what does it mean? Well, uh, we'll see that the fact is that Baptists have always stood on the original meaning of church separation from the state and uh, that 
they were instrumental in getting that enshrined in our First Amendment, the Constitution. Now, what does it mean, this uh, doctrine? Well, this doctrine is closely related to another doctrine we already learned about. That is the doctrine of soul liberty. Now, if you'll remember when we covered soul liberty, I told you that Paul gives a master class on soul liberty in Romans chapter number 14. And basically what soul liberty means is that no person should be forced to believe anything against their will. A man, it's up to a, a man, up to an individual to decide what he wants to believe. As Baptists, we've always, always believed in that. Now, you and I as Baptists do believe in aggressively evangelizing and pursuing the lost. But we should never force anybody by fear of, uh, of uh, retaliation or by fear of government law uh, to believe in anything. Uh, that's never been a Baptist distinctive. Uh, we've always believed that, that a man should be able to believe whatever he wants. If you want to believe in God, you can worship God according to the dictates of your own heart. And if you don't want to believe in God, that's your business too. That's the way Baptists have always seen that issue of individual soul liberty. Now, you may not think that that's all that ground-shaking of a doctrine. And uh, you may think that uh, that's mainstream across the world. But I would submit to you tonight that across the world, there's not many people free to worship whatever God they want. As a matter of fact, I was looking at it today, there are five three theocracies on the planet, five nations that still claim to be a theocracy. That is, they are ruled by their religious leader, all Muslim, by the way, that's interesting. You've got Afghanistan and Iran and Saudi Arabia and Yemen, and in those countries, those people are forced to believe in Allah by the rule of law. And I don't think that's right. I admit more than I'd think it was right for the United States to pass a law that everybody had to be a Christian. You say, you don't think that'd be right? No, I don't think that'd be right. I think a man ought to be able to serve God according to the dictates of his own heart. That's, that's what freedom's all about. That's what liberty is all about. Did you know there are 46 nations that honor Sharia law across the world? 46, I couldn't believe it. 46 nations that honors Sharia law, which is the law of the Muslim, making the total millions upon millions of people across our globe that are Muslim simply because their government tells them they have to be Muslim. If they're not Muslim, they're put to death. If they're not Muslim, they're killed. They're, they're beaten. They're ostracized from their community at the very least. Uh, and that happens all across the world. You see, we live sheltered here in the United States of America, and we don't understand what it's like out there in other places. I was watching, uh, been watching a documentary on aircraft carriers. I, I, I come up with strange things. And uh, for eight hours, I've been watching this thing now, and it's followed the USS Nimitz as it goes into, uh, as it went on deployment into Iraq way back when Bush was still president. And that just interesting to me, so I thought life on that aircraft carrier is like uh, that they take a, 
uh, they take a, uh, a liberty, they go in for Liberty Port in one of those Muslim nations and all of those female uh, uh, Navy personnel, they had to put on those burkas and cover their face up and wear those big long gowns if they wanted to get off the boat for Liberty uh, uh, because if they didn't do that, guess what? They were arrested. Why? Because uh, they are subject to their government. Now let me just pause and say right here, I know the United States not the, the not, not what it used to be. Uh, we got a lot of problems. Uh, I'm glad on a Wednesday night. Uh, I'm, I can still come down here on a Wednesday night uh, and walk in them back doors without for fear of reprisal of the government uh, and stand and preach whatever I want to stand and preach. Uh, if I want to say, hey, if I want to say Biden's a knucklehead, I can say Biden's a knucklehead. Amen. Uh, and that's the way it ought to be. That's the way. That's freedom. See, that's freedom. I remember years ago, President Reagan used to tell a joke. He said uh, there was a Russian and an American talking one day, and that Russian said, uh, or that American said, I live in the greatest country on earth. He said, why is that? He said, well, if I don't like what President Reagan's doing, I can walk right in the Oval Office. I can pound on President Reagan's desk. I can run my finger right in President Reagan's face, and I can say, President Reagan, I do not like what you're doing. Well, uh, Russian said, we can do that in Russia. He said, you can. He said, yes, sir. We can walk right into uh, Gorbachev's office. We can pound on Gorbachev's desk. We can stick our finger in Gorbachev's face. And we can say, Mr. Gorbachev, we don't like what Reagan's doing. (laughs) Amen. See, that's the kind of freedom they got over there. But across this world, There are a lot of people who are not free to worship God according to the dictates of their heart. Baptists have always believed people should be able to do that. It's a Baptist distinctive. Now, I'm going to show it to you. You ready? Here's a little history lesson. I want us to look at this doctrine of separation of church and state historically. Let's look at it historically. Historically, separation of church and state meant that the state should not infringe on the church. That's what it meant. Uh, the Puritans, let's talk about the Puritans. And a lot of people, you know, talk about the Puritans, they fled Europe uh, trying, to, trying to get religious freedoms. But really, the, the Puritans did not want religious freedom. What they wanted was out from under religious persecution. But uh, what they did when they came to America, they believed everybody ought to believe just like them. And if you didn't believe just like them, you were in trouble. The Pilgrim's Progress and all that, and those Puritans came over. They just wanted free from the persecution of England, but they had no interest in allowing any other uh, faith uh, group uh, to worship God freely. They didn't care anything about that. And there's a man by the name of Roger Williams. Might be Ken Brother Allen, I don't know. Roger Williams was the first Baptist in America. He founded the first Baptist church. But before that, he was a Puritan preacher. And you know what? He was preaching Baptist doctrine, and it made the Puritans and the Church of England so mad that they ran him out of Boston. Matter of fact, I got the date wrote down. They, uh, let's look at this. In, in 1636, they ran Roger Williams out of Boston. He went down the, uh, he went south a little ways below Boston, and he established a colony that at that time was called Providence Plantation. Later, it would be known as Rhode Island. Did you know Baptists established Rhode Island? Rhode Island is a Baptist state. 
He established that colony, and it was the only colony on the whole United States of America where people were free to worship God any way that they wanted to worship God because Roger Williams, the first Baptist in America who pastored the first Baptist church, said people ought to be able to worship God according to the dictates of their own heart, not according to what England says, and certainly not according to what the Pope says or anybody else. He was a Baptist pioneer. It was in this first colony. Later, there was a man by the name, uh, another Baptist preacher by the name of John Leland. Anybody ever heard of John Leland? John Leland was friends with a man that you might have heard of. His name was James Madison. James Madison is known as the father or architect of the Constitution of the United States. And it was, it, later, it was uh, James Madison would, cr- would credit John Leland with being the man who influenced him to put the First Amendment as the very First Amendment because the Baptist preacher John Leland said if we don't have religious freedom, we don't have freedom. And he pushed the founders to put a First Amendment in the Constitution saying that Congress would make no law when it, came to the, when it came to religion. And really what they were interested in was they did not want the state putting forth a church and funding it with tax dollars and saying this is the state-run church. No, they wanted everybody to be able to attend their own church and worship God the way they wanted. And I think we would all agree that the First Amendment is one of the things that separates the United States of America from every other country on earth. We're free to say what we want, print what we want, worship the way we want to, all because a Baptist preacher got to be friends with James Madison and gave him the idea to enshrine in the Constitution our freedom of religion. That was a Baptist idea. As a Baptist idea, I say hallelujah. You know where the, you know where the uh, term separation of church and state came from? In 1802, the Doonesbury Baptist Association got worried that the United States was about to enact a state church. They were about to have a state church. And so they wrote uh, to the president, Mr. Thomas Jefferson at that time, about their concerns that they were going to have a state church and they didn't want a state church. Here's what Thomas Jefferson wrote them back. I'm going to read the whole letter. It's not very long. This is January 1st, 1802. This is to the committee of the Doonesbury Baptist Association in the state of Connecticut. Gentlemen, the affectionate sentiments of esteem and approbation which you are so good as to express towards me on behalf of the Danbury Baptist Association give me the highest satisfaction. My duties dictate a faithful and zealous pursuit of the interest of my constituents and in propitiation as they are persuaded by, of my fidelity to those duties that the discharge of them becomes more and more pleasing. Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God that he owes account to none other than uh, none other for his faith or his worship. But the legislative powers of government can reach actions only and not opinions. I contemplate with sovereign reverence 
that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state, adhering to this expression of the supreme will of the nation in behalf of the rights of confidence, I shall see with sincere satisfaction the progress of those sentiments which tend to restore to man his natural rights, convinced he has no natural right in opposition to his social duties. I reciprocate your kind prayers for the protection and blessing of the common father and creator of man and tender you for yourselves and your religious association assurances of my high respect and esteem. Best regards, Thomas Jefferson, President of the United States. It was the first time that the phrase separation of church and state was ever used. And it was used in the context of a president assuring a Baptist association that the government was not going to establish its own religion. In other words, what Thomas Jefferson was saying is don't worry, we're not going to mess with the church. The government won't mess with the church. Uh, he wasn't talking anything about the church not being involved in governmental affairs, uh, but rather that the government would not get involved in church affairs. That is the historical context of the separation of church and state. Uh, and we as Baptists have always believed it. Uh, we're glad to live in a country that's held it as its founding. Uh, and my friend, we need to always fight for and defend our freedoms to worship God however we want to worship God. Some of you remember a few years ago some of our kids took some tracks to a ball game and stood and handed them out and people came in. The guy's the principal at that time. He stopped them and he came to me to fuss about it. And he said, you shouldn't have done that. He said, you should ask me. And I said, what would you have said? He said, I said, no. I said, that's why I didn't ask you. I said, these kids go to church here, or church here, <laughs> go to school here. And I said, they ought to be able to share their faith however they want to share their faith. He said, now, be careful. He said, you're going to open box worms here. He said, what if a little Muslim kid won't stand down there and hand out Muslim literature? And I, you know what I said? I said, more power to her. If a little Muslim kid won't stand down there and offer Muslim, hand out Muslim, you know what? I'd go to that kid. I wouldn't agree with what she said. I wouldn't agree with what she's handing out. I certainly wouldn't agree with her religion, but I certainly would agree with her right to stand down there and hand her stuff out. Amen. Because this is the United States of America, and we've got a freedom of religion in this country. And I'd fight for their right to do it. That's right. They got just as much right as I do. And that's, that's what freedom's all about. See, when you get in this business where some can, the, Others can't and all this mess, then then you don't have freedom anymore. That's right. Across this great land of ours, there's Baptist churches and Methodist churches and Presbyterian churches and Catholic churches and uh, synagogues and mosques and uh, whatever the Buddhists have, temple, I guess, whatever. And I say every one of them ought to have a, uh, the opportunity to worship in freedom, go down there and worship their God, even though it's a little G God, they ought to have the freedom to do that. Just like what, because if you go to taking one away, or if you go to establishing one, you got a problem. That's the way the Baptists have always looked at it. The Baptists have basically just looked at the government and said, hey, leave religion alone. 
Just let people worship the way they want to worship. Because this is America. So there's the historical. So there's the fundamental aspect. And then there's the historical aspect. But then I want to give you this, and I'm going to be done. There's this practical aspect. Right here is where this is going to get unpopular. What, is, what does this doctrine mean to us practically? Well, number one, can I say that we should quit espousing views that are contrary to this doctrine, and I would even submit to you contrary to common sense. I see people post things on Facebook that say, put the Bible back in schools and put prayer back in schools. That sounds good. On the face, that sounds good. Yeah, that's right. And we say things like, where it all went wrong was when they took the Bible out of schools. Let me tell you where it went wrong is when they took the Bible out of our houses. That's where it went wrong. And let me ask you something. Would you really want... A public school teacher setting your kids down with a Bible and telling them what to believe. Now, I want you to think about that. I wouldn't. Are they some good public school teachers? Why, of course. There's some that I'm sure do a great job, probably Sunday school teachers. They, some, they, some of them don't tell them what they tell them. That's right. I don't want them pray. Hey, I don't, hey, I don't want them using the Bible. You know what I want my kids to learn at school? I want them to learn arithmetic. I want them to learn reading. Hey, man, I want, hey, that's what I want. I don't want them to learn about gender studies. I don't want them to learn about the Muslim religion, the Buddhist religion. I don't want them to learn about any religion unless they're going to go to the Christian school. Hey, man, where I know they've got people I know believe like I do. But as far as public school goes, you just get the ABCs, one, two, threes, and you let the church handle everything. Hey, man, mom and daddy handle everything else. You see, that's a problem we got. They're indoctrinating them in all kinds of crazy ideas that they ought to just leave outside, let the mom and daddies handle that. Say, well, I know that'd be unpopular, but it's true. Well, let's bring prayer back. What kind of prayer are you going to bring back? You see, this ain't the 1950s no more. Them teachers in the 50s, they all spoke the King James Bible and went to a Baptist church on Sunday. But that ain't how it is no more. That ain't how it is no more. And so if we're going to believe in separation of church and state, then bless goodness, we got to believe in separation. That's right now. Now, don't, don't fall out with me just yet. I'm going to tell you some, area, some other areas. But when it comes to things like school and those things, leave that stuff alone. We need, I tell you where the Bible needs to be. It needs to be in parents' hands with their kids set. That's who's responsible for teaching them kids about the Bible and about the Lord and being missionaries to them families. It's them parents and then it's the churches and the community. The problem is we've, we've blamed all that. We say, well, they took prayer and the Bible out of school and look what all's happened since then. Listen, the church is the problem. It's not that the Bible left public school. It's that the Bibles have left the church houses uh, and the Bibles have left ha- prayers gone away at church, prayers gone away at home. Uh, that's a problem with America's society. That was, hey, that's just a symptom, the fact they took it out of school. That was just a symptom of a greater problem. And there's no going back on that now. And so here's what I say. See, that they use that against us. When we start saying, well, let's put the Bible back in church, they'll say, all right, let's put the Koran in there, or Bible back in school, let's put the Koran in there, let's bring the Buddhists in there, let's bring the Satan's after school club. Do you know they got a Satanist after school club right, just right over the mountain here in Tennessee? 
I mean, Satan worshipers in the after school club. That's the truth. I, that's not just something I say. That's the truth. You know what I say about that? Leave it all to house. That's what I say. Leave it all to house. And let the parents be parents. I'm for it. I'm for letting parents decide what their kids are going to learn. That's what I'm for. 110%. And hey, some of you are looking at me a little funny tonight. But you leave, you've lived life a little bit longer and you'll be like, oh, wow, yeah, the preacher's right. We haven't all, we, we all just let the parents decide on certain things. That's, tr- that's right. So number one is we can drop some of them arguments. But number two, what else can we do? Well, secondly, we need to realize that this does not mean that we cannot be active and outspoken as a church politically. I tell you, in, the, in these mountains, the 11th commandment has been thou shalt not mention politics. And uh, how many times you say, well, the church can't say anything about any, any elected anything. Run that by John the Baptist. John the Baptist run his bony finger out Herod's face. He said, I'm going to tell you right now, what you're doing is not right. I don't believe, hey, I don't believe any preacher ought to get up and say, well, you've got to vote this way, you've got to vote that way. But when an elected official is doing something that's wicked and ungodly, I believe that it's the church's responsibility to stand against such wicked and ungodly things. When things are happening that are against that Bible, I believe the church has a responsibility to stand up and proclaim and say that ain't right and we're against it and bless goodness come November, we're going to go vote them out and tell everybody we know to vote them out. I believe it's the responsibility of the church to do those things and stand against wickedness. That's how we got in this mess. That's how we got in this mess. We said, well, we're not going to get involved. You know how Paul ended up in prison? You know how Paul ended up in prison? Well, it started down there at the synagogue, but he didn't back down from Felix, nor did he back down from Agrippa. The political elite of that day, they wanted him to recant that would have been the easy thing for Paul just to recant it and they'd have turned him loose. But he said, it's not going to, you're not going to get off that easy. I'm going to stand for the right. I don't care who likes it. I don't care, I don't care who agrees with it. I'm going to stand for the right. That's simply what I'm saying. We ought to stand for the right regardless of what the government says. Do you agree with that? We ought to stand against wrong regardless of who approves it. Do you agree with that? We'll see. We'll see. Because if I'm not wrong, if time lasts, I believe there's going to come a time where they're going to tell us there's certain things we can't talk about. You say, well, what about that First Amendment you preached about? I hope they honor it. I hope they honor it. But it makes me nervous. I'm not sure they're going to. I really, it makes me nervous. You think about all the Constitution. I'm getting way out deeper in this thing than I meant to get to tonight. But you think about all the Constitution they suspended during COVID. I mean, we got the freedom to assemble. That's, that's That's enshrined in our Constitution. But suddenly they said, you can't get together no more. Huh? That's, hey, that's exactly right. I remember when we was meeting out in the parking lot because it was against the law to come in here and meet. And I remember when they talked about dispatching highway patrolmen to try and, and find if those churches that were having service inside the building. Have you forgot about that? I'm just 
simply saying, I'm not so sure that we can depend on them not passing laws telling us what we can and can't say. And when they do it, that's when the rubber's going to meet the road. When they start threatening to label us as a hate group, that's when the rubber's going to meet the road. Am I right? I ain't hateful. I ain't a hateful bone in my body. I just believe the Bible. But one of these days, I'm afraid it's, I'm afraid it's going to come down where the rubber meets the road. We're going to have to decide whether or not we're going to take a stand for God or not. You know what I say? I say we stand. What if it means prison? Paul said, well, all these things have fallen out from furtherance of the gospel is all I know. Do I want to go to prison? No. No, I don't. Well, I would probably run at the last minute probably. <laughs> Do I have some pretty good spots picked out to run to? You better believe it. And some ideas about how I'll get there. I'll be hard to find. <laughs> but I'm going to stand till they get, pull up in the parking lot. <laughs> of course, ain't nobody wants to go to prison. But it might come down to it where we got to stand. What if, what if we come down to it and they said, you can't preach against sodomy? They've already done it in Canada. They've already done it in Canada. Can't preach against sodomy. It's a hate crime to even read Romans chapter number one out loud in Canada. I didn't mean to get into all this. What I'm simply saying is the government ought to stay out of the church's business. Yeah. Stay out of our business. What happens in here? has historically been protected by the Constitution, very first amendment. By the way, you know why we got a second amendment? To protect that first one. Because they knew, our founders knew, if the people were not armed, eventually somebody would take the first amendment away. And it's the only thing it's kept them from doing. I can't get off on that. Lord have mercy, I'll preach all night. It's the only thing it's kept them from doing. Because if they thought they could, if they thought, hey, every tyrannical government on the planet, before they ended up with a dictator, the last thing they did was take everybody's guns away. It's the last thing they did. They did that, and then they took over. Ask the Germans. Ask people from Chile and, and, and some of them South American countries like uh, 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 Venezuela and some of those places. Do you know in Venezuela? The money blows down the road. And people won't bend over to pick it up. Because it's not worth picking up out of the street. Their money is not worth bending over and picking up out of the street. So the money's just blowing around the street in Venezuela. Now that's what this, that's what this intellectual crowd wants. Uh, they want us to be socialists because that sounds like a free ride. I mean today, today they forgave all them, all them loans. You know what? Rachel had to pay all hers. I helped her. <laughs> Not much. But what, how, how's that fair? How's that fair? There's money blowing around in the street. I've done got way off kilter tonight. Money blowing in the street. Money blowing in the street in Venezuela. It's not worth bending over and picking up. I'm just simply saying <laughs> that we need my friend, to stay involved and vote and, and speak up our voice and do the right thing and, and push and need to do all that. But in the end, there has to be a separation. 
because I believe man ought to be free to do whatever he wants to do. I would not be in a favor. Listen, if we had elected a man and he got up and he said, I'm going to outlaw every religion except the independent Baptist. You know what I'd do? I'd get me a, I'd get me a sign and I'd go pick it against that because I'd think that'd be a horrible idea because no, nobody would be forced into it. Baptists have always, always believed that. So you may not have known it before tonight, but this whole idea of separation of church and state, the historical understanding of it, came from Baptist people. And it is very much, very much a Baptist distinctive. I didn't preach longer than I meant to. Let's stand. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. Bless your holy name for all that you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, grace, and mercy. Thank you, Lord, that we're Baptists and believe a few things. Thank you, Lord, I was born into the United States of America. Lord, where I've been free these years to worship and serve you, and I pray that that freedom would continue. I pray, Lord, that we'd be free uh, to worship you however we see fit. God, do that now as only you can, and we'll thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name.